It was taught earlier on that one of the doubtful cases that are ruled stringently, even in a public area, are saliva that is found in the street. This is considered to be definitely Tomei, even though we are unsure from whom that saliva came. The law is that a Zov or a Zova, a Nidal, these are all different people who are Tomei, with a severe kind of impurity that any liquid that comes out of such a person's body is considered to be on the level of an avhatuma, a primary level of impurity that would make even a person who touches it tomei. Now, one of the examples of a person like this is a nidor, and a woman periodically becomes a nidor based on her blood flow, and because of this, any city, any neighborhood, certainly has people who are on this level of impurity. That having been said, if there were a neighborhood that was full of just Jews who are normal and they are able to watch over themselves, it is generally assumed that a nidah or any person who has this level of impurity is careful enough to make sure that he doesn't let his saliva or any liquid that comes out of his body to be in a public area and for other people to become tummy from it. So if there were to be such a neighborhood, then this rabbinic stringency would not apply because it can safely be assumed that Tomei people whose saliva is Tomei make sure not to leave their saliva in an open area. However, if there's even just one crazy woman in the city, or one non-Jew, or one kusi woman, part of a nation who converted en masse to become Jewish, but later on it was found out that their conversion was not genuine, so it's like a regular non-Jewish nation. So if there's one non-Jewish woman in that neighborhood, or one crazy Jewish woman, these people are not careful about making sure that their saliva is not left in an open area, and that one woman is enough to, for this rabbinic stringency to apply, and call a rukin any saliva that is found in that entire city will be considered Tomei, because it could very well have come from that woman. Now, a Zov or a Nidor, someone who has this level of impurity, which is called Tumas Midras, one of the ways that that impurity can be transferred onto somebody else, apart from if they step on the item or if they support the weight of the person, is also an interesting way of essentially supporting the weight of a person. If, for example, there was a giant balance scales... And in one of the scales, there was a Zov sitting there. And on the other scales, there were items or another person. If the other item or the person is heavier than the Zov, so the Zov is essentially being lifted up by the other person, even though not directly, this is a, a form, really, of supporting the weight of the Zov. And anybody who supports the weight of the Zov becomes Tomei via this, via this transfer of Tomas Midras. Because of that, if there is a Zov or a Nidor in a boat together with another person, or together with other items, essentially all of the other items will become Tomei. Because there are certainly certain points at which the boat is being weighed down by the other items, which are all contributing to the weight of really causing the Zov or the Nidor to be higher up. If the Zov or the Nidar is found in the part of the ship that is higher up, if the ship is slanted, so the part which is pointing upwards, so then the other items that are lower down will become Tomei. So says the Mishnah, If a woman tread on somebody's clothes, or she sat with him in the same boat, even if there was no contact at all, 
if the woman was a nidar, then the person's clothes will all become tame. However, we mentioned earlier on that normal women who are nidar are concerned about this, and they make sure not to make other people tame if they know that it makes a difference. And therefore, in Makiratu Batruma, if we know that she knows that the other person on the boat is somebody who eats truma, meaning he's a koyen. For a koyen, it makes a very big difference whether he is tome or not. So we can be sure that she would have told him that she is a nidor, so that he'll know that he's tome and that he can't eat truma and all of the other ramifications of him being tome. So if we know that she knows that, and yet she didn't tell him anything, he is able to safely assume that she is not a nidor, and therefore Kalov Tohirin, his clothes are considered to be pure. Vimlav, but if not, if she doesn't know that he is a Koyain, so then the fact that she hasn't told him anything does not indicate that she's not a Nidar. And so Yishalveno, he should ask her whether or not she is Tome and automatically his clothes being Tome, because no assumption can be made anymore. It should be noted, by the way, that what we learnt earlier on in this Mishnah that a non-Jewish woman could also be a Nidar, this is not true Midaraisa. According to the Torah, a non-Jewish woman is not Tome, but Midrabono, we consider her to be Tome as well. Mishnah test. This final mission of the Perek talks about doubts of impurity that are not based on a the person himself who possibly touched it. We're unsure about the facts. It's based on contradictory testimonies. Aid Omer Nitma, if there is one witness who says that somebody became Tomei, he saw him touch a source of impurity, the who Omer, but the person himself says that Lonit Macy, I know that I did not become Tomei, I also saw that piece of dead body, whatever it may have been, and I know that I did not touch it. Tahar, the person is considered to be pure, even though there is a witness testifying against him. He is believed regarding himself more. Shanaim Omim Nit Mesa, if two people say you became Tome, but he claims that I did not become Tome. Rimeir Matame, Rimeir says that the person is considered to be Tome. So if, for example, the person would have entered into the Besamikdosh after he became Tome, even if he denies the fact that he became Tome, since these, these witnesses are believed more, and he will be obligated to bring a carbon for having transgressed the sin of entering into the Besamikdosh whilst being Tome. The Torah considers two witnesses to be like a definite fact. The testimony of two witnesses is always believed and relied upon, and therefore it's even more reliable than the person himself with regards to his own laws. However, he is believed with regards to himself. That is to say, according to the Chachomim, he would not be obligated to bring a korban in the example we just talked about. And even though the Chachomim agree that two witnesses are always relied upon, since the person himself is also relied upon, we have a contradiction here, and so we resolve the contradiction for ourselves, and we interpret that which he said, that I didn't become Tome, not as meaning that I never became Tome, but that currently I'm not Tome, because although I did become Tome, like you are testifying, I have since then become purified. I went to the mikveh, and according to the Chachomim, because we have two reasons to believe the, the witnesses and the person, there's a contradiction. We resolve that, the contradiction in that way, and therefore he would not be obligated to bring a carbon, and we would not consider him to currently be Tome either, because the assumption is that he has been purified since then. If one witness says that the person became Tome, and two witnesses say that he did not become Tome, and the person himself doesn't know, whether this doubt occurs in a private area or a public area, the person is lenient because two witnesses against one witness win. 
the other witness is considered to be totally irrelevant in face of two witnesses who are always relied upon fully. And likewise, if we have the opposite case, if two people say that he did become Tomei, the Edo Melonitma, and one witness says that he did not become Tomei, whether this doubt occurs in a private area where doubts are generally ruled stringently, or in a public area where doubts are generally ruled leniently, Tomei, the person is considered to be Tomei because we fully rely on the two witnesses, and even though there is one witness going against that, that individual witness is considered to be irrelevant against two witnesses saying the opposite. If there is one witness testifying that he became Tomei, and another witness testifying that he did not become Tomei, or if a woman says that he became Tomei, or, and another woman says that he did not become Tomei, the mission is showing that although a woman is generally not a valid witness with regards to impurity and certain other areas of law she is believed and relied upon the same as one witness any case where a single witness can be relied upon a woman can also be relied upon so if she said something and she wasn't contradicted or the single witness said something and they weren't contradicted we would follow that but over here there is a contradiction so once again it's considered to be a doubt and therefore we follow the general rule that if this doubt occurred in a private area then tomei the person would be considered to be Tomei out of doubt, and Bershus Arabim, if it occurred in a public area, then Tohar out of doubt, we are lenient, and he is considered to be pure. This parak, this chapter, continues to talk about doubtful cases of Tumar, and specifically with regards to the rule that a doubtful case in a private area is ruled stringently in general, and if it's in a public area, then it is ruled um, leniently. And the truth is, as we have learnt, the general rule of all of the Torah is that in cases of doubt, we go according to the Chazaka. And since the status of the item until now has been Tahar, if we have a doubt as to whether or not it became Tomei, we assume that its pure status continues and it is not Tomei. And so the rule in a public area that we consider it to be Tomei is the regular rule. However, it's learned from Psukim that if the doubt occurs in a private area, so then we are actually strict. What happens if there is Mokoim, a place, it was originally a private area where people didn't really pass through, and then it became a more public area where people do pass through. A classic example would be a field. During the winter, people don't really walk through a field, and therefore it's considered to be a private area, whereas during the summer when there is produce growing there, then it's considered to be more of a public area because people do pass through and work there. And then the area became a private area, winter arrived again. So what exactly do we consider this area to be? The Mishnah says, quite simply, during the time that it is a private area, during the winter months, any doubt that arises in that area will be ruled as and when it is during a time that it's considered to be a public area, during the summer months, any doubt that arises there will be ruled as Tahar. The Mishnah continues with a similar idea, and it's going to emerge from the following case an extremely crucial point in understanding many, many of the laws and rules that have to do with the concept of Chazaka, the presumptions that we make with regards to a particular person or item's state. If there was somebody who was in danger of dying and he wasn't even conscious and he was in who was in a private area, 
and they brought him out into a public area, and then they brought him back into the private area. And later on it emerged that he was dead, and there is a doubt as to at which point the person had died. And at each of these three stages, the person touched an item. So there is a doubt in regards to all of those items, whether they are Tomei or not. The Mishnah says, in a similar vein to the previous case of the Mishnah, any doubt that arises for as long as the body was in the private area is deemed as Tomei. Whereas any doubt that arised while it was in the public area is considered to be Tohar. We rule leniently with regards to doubts in a public area. Now, this seems pretty simple, but the truth is, it's actually very surprising, because we emerge with a total contradiction. The item that the body touched when it was first in the private area is considered to be Tomei, because we're concerned that the person was dead already at that point. If we're ruling that item as Tomei, that means we're essentially saying, out of doubt, since there is an item that was in the private area and possibly became Tomei, out of doubt, we are assuming that it's Tomei. That is to say, out of doubt, we're assuming that the person was already dead when it was originally in the private area. If that's the case, so how on earth can we say that the item that the body touched after it was brought out of that private area into the public area is going to remain pure? That contradicts the previous law that we just ruled with regards to the other item. According to the rule that we said about the other item, we consider the person to be dead. And it's not really enough to say that we view them as two different laws. It's two separate cases that are presented in front of us. So we judge each case uh, on its own. Even if later on there will be be a contradiction that emerges, that doesn't worry us. But that's not enough, because when we come to rule about the second item that was touched the dead body while it was in the public domain, so when we come to rule about that item, we already have a fact in our minds that we ruled something else Tomei because we're assuming that the body was dead. We already know that, and yet we still rule something else as if we assume now that the, body were, that the person was not dead at that point. And the explanation of this is because the concept of Chazaka ignores external calculations. And it's all based on that which we see in front of us right now, and since in a public area we go according to the regular rule of Chazaka, that we presume that the status of the item does not, didn't change out of doubt, and since until now it was pure, we assume that it is still pure, that is going to be the case over here as well, even if we already ruled a different item, Tome, based on a presumption that the person was dead already earlier on. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, Roshus Rabbi Mavsekes, that actually this public area does make a break. It does cause a contradiction, and therefore we cannot rule the first item as being Tomei, because based on the principle of Chazaka, the second item needs to be ruled Tahar. And in order to fulfill that regular law of Chazaka that states that the second item that touched the body while it was in the public area is going to remain pure, the first item is also considered to be pure, and only the item that touched it at the end, once it was already brought back into the private area, only that will be considered to be Tomei. Mishnah Base. There are four cases of doubt that Rabbi Yeshua rules stringently as being Tomei, and the Chachomim rule as being pure. Ketzad, how so? What are these examples? The law is that a Matsuira, who is somebody who has Tsaras, which are certain white spots on his body that cause him to be Tomei, Anyone or anything that is situated underneath the same roof as a Mitsuira, as long as the Mitsuira is still, anything else under that roof or any person will become Tomei. 
So the Mishnah says, Atomi Omid Vatar, over if there is somebody who has Tzara'as standing, and he's underneath something that is a roof over him, and there is somebody who is pure, who's passing by underneath the same roof. In general, that person will become Tommy as a result. Or if the pure person is standing still there, and the person who has Tzara'as passes, so he's not still. In general, that would not cause the other person to become Tommy, because the Mitsuya over here is not still. However, we're going to see that we're talking about a case where there is a doubt as to whether the Mitsuya was still or not. The first case is where there is a doubt as to whether the pure person actually did pass underneath the same roof or not. If there is a source of impurity in a private area and something that is pure in a public area, and we're going to understand that the doubt in this case is that somebody knows that he touched one of the items, but he's not sure which one of them he touched. Do we view this as being a doubt in a public area or a doubt in a private area? Or if we have the opposite case where there is a pure item in a private area and a source of impurity or a Tommy item in a public area, and again, somebody touched one of them, but he's not sure which of them he touched. Like the Mishnah goes on to explain, if there is a doubt whether or not he touched one of those in the last two cases, if there is a doubt as to whether or not the person was underneath the same roof as the Matsura whilst the Matsura was still, this is referring to the first two cases, as we explained, Sophic Hesit, Sophic Lehesit. If there is a doubt in the last two cases as to whether or not he moved the Tome item, if it is a Tome item that can make somebody Tome even just by moving it without touching it, in all of these cases, Rabbi Yeshua Matame, Rabbi Yeshua rules him as being Tome. And essentially, there are really two different arguments going on over here. With regards to the first two cases of the Mitzayra, Rabbi Yeshua's reason is pretty clear. We're talking about a private area, and therefore doubt is ruled stringently. The Chachom argue, based on how they understand the Pesukim, that's with regards to the first two cases. With regards to the last two cases, the argument is whether to consider this like a doubt in a private area or in a public area, because there are essentially both aspects over here.